Welcome to The Board, a podcast series on mechanical keyboards by the mechanical keyboard community. Proudly brought to you by Idea23. Awesome caps at great prices. Chill caps. Chill, rad, and good caps. Check them out at chillcaps.win. And Kibio, the place for split keyboards. Well, this week is another week where I will be pretty much doing a solo episode. Now, it has been a couple of weeks since my regular co-host Kevin has joined me. I have been in contact with him and he's alive. He's, he's doing okay. He's a little bit under uh, the weather, a bit stressed. Uh, there's a lot of things happening with him, with work with wrapping up with his studies now that he's living in a completely different country that he still has to take care of. And so he hasn't really been able to put the time aside uh, to tee up these sessions with me. So, you know, I just want to make sure that everybody out there who is actually listening to this, if you're wondering, if you're concerned because you haven't seen him on Reddit or you haven't seen it on Slack or Discord or any of the other avenues that you might have normally seen him at, He's okay. He's just hanging in there. But uh, I will, of course, get onto something a little bit related to that soon enough. So what that means, of course, uh, is, yeah, I'll be left to mostly my own devices right now. I originally was going to have a guest, somebody from our uh, the BOD podcast Slack group, join me. They said that they would be able to be on at this point in time. They haven't come on, so if they do join in later on and then sort of turn up, then uh, you'll have to forgive me a moment while I actually throw him an invite and get him onto the channel and so on and so forth. But let's get the show on the road. So I suppose to start with, just a couple of updates in general. First and foremost, I think it's a good place to start with a hub date. So just keeping track on what's happening with the hub Kickstarter. Goal is massive at 500,000. And this week we are now at 131,841 or 26%. Now there's only 40 days left to go. So technically we're actually one third of the way through, which is 33.3 roughly. But we're lagging a bit behind in the funding pledges at only 26%. For the Australian group buy scenario, we're currently at 116 sets. Now, I know there is going to be a little bit more bucket of money technically appearing because um, Wasad and Z Frontier were, when we last spoke about this, being involved in wanting to get in on 500 sets roughly. Now, that pledge hasn't actually happened on Kickstarter. I don't know if that's going to happen specifically on Kickstarter or if they're managing it somehow through some other avenues. But that said, it is kind of a hidden extra to this. And I do hope people will get more on board with supporting this Kickstarter closer towards the end of the campaign. So if you're still sitting on the fence, yes, you still got 40 days to go at the time that I'm recording this. So probably 39, 38 or even less by the time you listen to this episode. But for what it is, for what the price is, for what we are hoping to achieve for the community with this Kickstarter is well worth it. So please check it out. If you don't know what it is, go read it up, ask questions, you know, look at the renders, check out the prototypes, so on and so forth. Right, so that is the hub date. 
Now the second, I suppose, relative update is things that I've been doing at work. Now I have spoken previously about me being able to have time in, in process improvement, in innovation, and doing a little presentation about my macro pad idea, getting a bit of traction about that, and the business saying that they would be interested in funding it. Well, I've now made a couple of orders for prototypes off my own back, off uh, money from you know my my hobby money, basically. So I've got a couple of prototypes for my hot swap idea, as well as my uh, three by one sort of almost meetup style kind of pad idea as well. So I'm, I'm keen to get them in and test them out. And right now I'm just playing with ideas about how to create a case that we can 3D print for prototyping for the hot swap, which will be good, which will be good. So um, that's actually in the air somewhere between China and here. In theory, I should get it from DHL on Tuesday. So if I do have time during the week next week, on the next episode, I'll be able to give a bit more of an update on uh, how that all turns out. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, now, on to actual topics this week. You know, every week, I basically sift through the subreddit. You know, there's anywhere between 900 odd to 1000 topics a week. And I do pick and choose things that I'm interested in that I want to talk about. And how I generally do this is because it's things that I actually think can be discussion points rather than just straight up information throwing. Uh, you know, there's lots of pictures of nice keyboards, key sets, artisans. You know, there's questions, help questions, for example. Uh, you know, how do I do this or where do I get that or where can I buy that or who's got that or has anyone made this? I typically leave a lot of those alone because Sure, you can talk about them, but they're not necessarily as thought-provoking. And of course, if you're missing a co-host to bounce and discuss things off, it gets even harder. So, you know, these last couple of weeks, I do apologize if things seem a little bit flat and whatnot, because, you know, without that rebound of conversation, it does get a little bit challenging. So hopefully this week, the things that I've picked, I can still throw out my thoughts, my opinions, and of course, they do not necessarily represent anybody else's, but uh, it'll just be food for thought for you to develop your own ideas. So first off the list is left-handed function keyboards. Uh, now, Authentic Danger posted a handy little list, which basically says somebody puts up a picture that has F keys or macro keys on the left-hand side of a keyboard, people want to know where to get one. And interestingly, it actually, as popular as these pictures tend to be, they're not the easiest keyboards to find. So it's put together a list, which is the LF keyboard, VA clone, Centrac S65+, Plus, Red Scarf 78, Kona Classic, OCD 77, the VEA, Revo K Mini, K Mac Mini, and the Cherry G80 TAC 0693-2. D. So it's actually a reasonable list. Now, I would say Red Scarf is um, actually, well, not uncommon, but at the same time, not common. VEAs are, are well sought after, but the VA clones are readily available through Taobao. So it's not that these keyboards are necessarily difficult to get hold of, it's just perhaps not so mainstream. But 
why I brought this particular topic into the list that I was hoping to originally discuss was why is there a need for your function keys to be on the left hand side? Now I have the VA clone. I use the VA clone at work and it actually it bothers me <laughs> to have them there. I don't actually use them. Uh, I've just natively mapped them to numpad keys when I was just setting up my VA clone only because I didn't want them to actually be F keys. I'm very accustomed to using my left pinky for control uh, for the purposes of doing, you know, control C, control V and other control functions in Word and Excel and so on and so forth. But because I've got those extra two rows in my peripheral vision, if I'm resetting my hands, I'm so used to full size keyboards without an F row on the left, my hand gravitates towards the corner of the keyboard and inevitably it ends up on those F rows. And if I'm not thinking hard enough because I'm doing something else or I'm talking with somebody or I'm, you know, writing and concentrating or whatnot, I actually end up hitting one of those keys, which it's not a big deal if it's just a num key assignment, but if it's going to be a function key, it could do something else that I didn't really want happening. So for me, it's a little bit of an annoyance. It also means on the left hand side of my keyboard, it takes up two extra U, which I'm also not accustomed to. So my work space at work has um, my cup. It's got my, my tea sitting there on the side. So it imposes a little bit more of a danger for me because there is that extra two U sitting there that could have a potential in where I normally put a liquid. Now, you might say, we'll just move my cup further away, but I have a very cramped workspace where uh, I already am at the left-hand edge of my table. <laughs> uh, and on my right-hand side, I've got, you know, my, my phone and other stuff, so I don't really have a lot of flexibility in that context. Now, I've been working on a split PCB design for myself where I've actually taken that and I've moved it across to the other side. Uh, the VEA... VA clone already has the extra strip next to the 60% on the right, but I've actually added an extra one to that as well. So it's two rows. Now I don't intend for them to become function key rows simply because that style of keyboard, the VA clone at least, already has an F row across the top. So it's really just converting the nav cluster type of keys and maybe some extras into that second row. That is more useful for me simply because I'm less likely to accidentally contact them and I'm much more used to doing things with my right hand that I'm currently missing because I don't have all of those keys from the arrow nav, uh, nav, nav. why do I keep saying nav, the nav cluster <laughs> on the right hand side. Now with the fan pad, uh, you know, I still get my numpad and all of that, but it means I can potentially reduce the footprint of my own creation, the fan pad, which I am using at work and it's doing fantastic um, so that I have more space for the mouse because now with the split keyboard arrangement, left hand gap, right hand gap, where the mouse sits, fan pad. So it, it just means, you know, I have more flexibility. So my question that I was going to ask and talk and bounce around was, well, what are driving factors for having left hand versus right hand macros versus deeper macros above the F row, if your keyboard had F rows, if you even use F rows, or even above the 
60% cluster in lieu of the FROS. Now I'm just going to re-describe that. So on the VEA clone, we have a FRO above the num row. But because it's mappable, I technically just could turn them completely into macro keys or other key assignments. So, you know, if you don't normally use the F keys, but you want macros, would you necessarily need left-hand or right-hand extra macros? It's 12 extra keys. Uh, do you need 12 extra keys? So a lot of people that I work with don't use any macros and, and they just, you know, they click all the way through and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, I've just noticed the little green light in Slack for my potential guest has turned on. So we'll see if they intend to uh, still come on and then we can have a bit of a chat or not. Oh, nope. The little green light has turned back into a circle. <laughs> now, I haven't said their name. I don't want to embarrass them uh, in, in any context until at least if they are going to sort of get involved. So my second topic this week is is an interesting one because it's about ergonomics. And um, it's got this really nifty old school drawing diagram where somebody's done a bit of research and some calculations and whatnot. And they've indicated through a scaling method of finger usage when writing between Dvorak and Standard. So uh, what's the name? Musha Banane, Bananane posted a neat little picture. Looks hand-drawn, looks a little bit on the old side. There's no date or particular reference to it, where you can see on one side, the Dvorak simplified keyboard has an interesting distribution of usage of fingers versus a standard keyboard where there's a lot more sort of driven requirement on your first and second finger, which is, which is really interesting. Now, we already know that the technical reason why the standard keyboard layout exists is because of the old typewriting days and the mechanical separation of commonly used arms on the typewriter so they wouldn't jam. So removing that requirement because it's all digital now, you know, having different layouts is fantastic. But from an ergonomic sense, should it not actually be better that we use our stronger fingers more? So I'll just let that sink in. Is there a reason why we want to distribute our loads to increase the use of fingers that are actually weaker for typing? Hmm. Now, there are comments in this thread where they've basically said, well, yes, because they type so much that they actually cause strain and stress and cramp on their first and second finger on both hands. And so the Dvorak or Colmac layout actually throws that distribution further along the hands and reduces the overall strain. But I, I, I used to be a technical writer. You know, I would spend five, six, seven days writing at, you know, 80 words per minute, writing technical documentation. And I've never been in that situation. Maybe I don't type as fast as they do. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, really interesting. Now, I've just had a message, so bear with me. Um, good morning. Would you still like to come on? I'm currently recording as is.
So, yes. Now, ergonomics says that, uh, you know, in theory, you want to be able to, uh, yeah, try and reduce load and strain. So by that accordance, it makes sense that you want to take it off your first and second fingers and distribute it evenly, but then by loading it further up, are you going to be increasing strain on those fingers? Catch 22. So let me just post a link. Okay, let us hop on in. So I've just thrown them the invite and uh, we'll see how it goes. Now, the good part is I am recording this offline. So if anything does happen, if they're a little bit uncomfortable, if they're not particularly used to talking in a conventional sense, then uh, I can always edit this. So I want to say good morning and welcome Proto TRD. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. It's good to have you on board today. I wasn't sure if you were going to make it. So as I uh, left you messages on Slack, I already started and I talked my way through two things so far. Um, so let's just uh, keep on going. Or I suppose uh, you've been on before, haven't you? Uh, no, no, I haven't. You have not. This is the first time you've been on. Now, do you prefer to be called Proto or Proto TRD or what do you prefer me to refer to you? Uh, Taylor is fine. Yeah. Taylor. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> good morning, Taylor. Thank you very much for joining me. No problem. Now, uh, Taylor is one of our uh, community members here on the board. He's been quite active and involved on our Slack group. Uh, and you know, he actually said, Hey, look, yeah, I, I want to get involved and, um, also improve some of my, my speaking skills. So I was more than happy to say, sure, let's get you on board and, uh, you know, give you a bit more experience in talking and just having a chat. So why don't you give yourself a bit of a introduction to our listeners, Taylor? Okay, sure. Um, I'm, I'm Taylor. Uh, I work in, um, it, I do desktop support right now. Okay. Um, I've been, uh, in mechanical keyboards for, uh, a little while, a couple years, uh, started with the poker three and now I have two, too many. <laughs> <laughs> How many do you classify as two, too many? Um, when the number of projects that I have, like the number of unbuilt boards exceeds the number of built boards, that's typically a bad thing. <laughs> so is it that you don't have enough time to actually build all your boards or you just don't have enough parts to complete your projects? Um, I, I have all the parts. It's probably a time thing. I like, uh, uh, for me, the whole, the whole fun in it is actually building it. So, um, I'll usually build something and the next day I'll turn around and tell it to somebody at work or something like that. Okay. So then how many keyboards have you actually done that to? Uh, at least 15. 15? Um, Whoa. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think the quickest turnaround was I, I built uh, an Iris from Kibio, and uh, it, it was kind of a joke. I got the uh, Otemu, like, ice clicky switches, so the switches were clear. It had the acrylic case and the uh, translucent keycaps from PMK, 
so it's like an all clear build and uh i brought it to work and somebody bought it by like 10 30. <laughs> nice so then you're obviously the keyboard guy at work uh yeah yeah for sure Every, everybody's uh I've, I've got like a switch tester on my desk and uh everybody's you know always asking me questions and whatnot wow that's awesome I wish I could convert more people as, as easily as you do. They come around and, and look at it and go, oh, that's cool, and then that's it. <laughs> Whereas you're actually, you know, you're you're uh, you're spreading the word and, and the keyboards, 15 keyboards, wow. Yeah, we uh, so there's about 20 guys on our desk, and I think there's two of, them, two of them that don't have keyboards, and most of them have more than one. So the two who don't have keyboards... What's their particular cause or reason for not having a keyboard? Um, I I think they just don't they just don't see the appeal. They you know whatever it's a it's a keyboard. Sure, sure, okay, and and that's perfectly fine, right? So, hmm, great. Well, thank you very much for that quick introduction. Now, uh, I'm just going to quickly backtrack to the stuff that I talked about earlier, and I thought I'd maybe just get you know, your feedback on it. So the first thing that I mentioned today was keyboards with left-handed function rows vertically. Now, Mm. I had read through the list that was available and I talked about my particular preferences. Now, you mentioned that you use a Poker 3, is that right? Poker 2, Poker 3? Yeah, I I had one at one point. (laughs) Right, so what's your primary driver now? Um, I've got an Anpro that I've modded quite a bit and I've got um, a 96 key from Mackie. Okay, right. So neither of those formats have function keys on the left-hand side. Mm-mm, no. Now, would you ever use a keyboard that had function keys on the left-hand side? Um, maybe. Um, I, I would probably do something more like the, the 65% where you've got the function or the extra keys on the right. Okay. Um, but I don't, I don't tend to do a lot of gaming either. And I think that might be. Oh, okay. So, so you're saying that's the application speed. more for, for the left-hand macros. Yeah. That, or maybe if you're left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, yeah. And, and that kind of actually reflects very closely to me in that I don't have any use for those. And, uh, I do actually prefer having the extra rows or extra keys on the right-hand side. So, Cool, cool. So now on to the second topic. I had sort of just quickly talked about the infographic, an old school hand-drawn infographic about Dvorak fingers versus standard fingers. Now, have you seen this picture? Mm-hmm. So, um, n- yeah. No. Okay. So the picture basically just shows the distribution of finger usage depending on Dvorak or standard keyboard. And my reflection upon this was that uh, in ergonomic sense, you ideally want to put as much required load on fingers that are stronger because they'll actually have less strain. But by the use of distributing the actual finger usage across your entire hand, you're reducing the load and strain on stronger fingers, but actually increasing the load and strain on weaker fingers. Now, how do you feel about that kind of concept? Um, yeah, I think it's it's pretty cool. I've never tried to um, 
switch to a different layout like like that i've you know i've switched to like a plank where it's you know ortholinear mm-hmm. but nothing quite like that okay now can i ask what your sort of average typing speed is um between like 75 and 90 depending on like more like 75 on a plank but more like 90 on like a 60 percent with that like familiar layout sure sure and have you ever experienced any strain or RSI issues with the standard layout? Um, not that I know of, but I don't. I don't typically have long days at the keyboard. Right. Okay. And you know, funnily enough, that's exactly the same kind of thing that I was saying myself. In that, you know, I used to be a technical writer and write hours on end at about 80, 85 words per minute, and. I've never actually experienced that kind of strain that some people are actually talking about within this thread. So I was just reflecting saying, well, is it actually more ergonomic to switch layouts to put more law to put there having a shocker today <laughs> to put more load on our weaker fingers. And, and there's a, of course there's going to be a trade off right in reducing strain on stronger fingers that are using more keystrokes or putting more strain onto weaker fingers and potentially strengthening them of course but uh would you ever actually consider switching layouts or trying to switch other layouts um yeah i would I, have you seen that post um where it it has like steps like you know one week you switch two keys and then the next week you switch a few more keys and then eventually you're at a different layout no i, I have think... not actually heard of even that concept at all I think it's it's not Dvorak. It might be Colmac that it switched at. Um, okay. But yeah, like you just you do, you make small changes, and then over time, you know, eventually you you get to the new layout. That's that's actually, I mean, when you think about it, it's such a simple way of doing things. Um, yeah, 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 you're reprogramming your brain a little bit at a time instead of all at once. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. Hmm. I, I, w- <laughs> I only wish that that would work from going from normal stagger to like ortho or normal stagger to <laughs> ergodox because uh, that would probably help. You know, you just move your switches like slightly, maybe like a quarter U in, in the right direction that you want to go <laughs> every day or every week or something. Cut like, cut like 12 plates. Oh. Well, you see that that would actually work with a hand wire build using those kale hot swaps. You know that guy who who did that uh, hand wired design where he was like, you know, I can use the hot swaps because all the wires are flexible and the diodes are soldered onto the actual hot swap, which means at any given mm. point in time I can just rejig my matrix and just map it accordingly. Oh, that's cool. That that would actually work. You would you could just cut a plate. And then just have holes rather than fixed. It's like saying a 2U hole, you put a switch in it and then you could slide it along that 2U space, however you wanted to space huh. it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Ooh, okay. I'm, I'm literally putting my hand to my chin right now thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's, it's excellent that uh, we've had some thought stimulation right there. Now... I'm going to move on to my third topic, which um, is, can you do something too much in the keyboard 
seen. Uh, the This question really comes from one person asking, what happens if you keep retro-brighting vintage plastic? Do you know what happens? Um, my guess is the plastic would eventually crack, right? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know. So reading it was really good for me to to actually find out because I have a basic understanding that retrobriting is is applying some chemical compounds to it, but I don't fully understand the process. It supposedly removes uh, sulfur compounds or something like that, which is what causes the yellowing sulfides, sulfates. Mm. I don't know, but yeah, if you keep retrobriting, supposedly it weakens the plastic and it turns brittle. So and that's obviously really bad, especially on vintage stuff. Um, but apparently people have said that it also causes weird color spotting and stuff like that. So you've got to be careful to make sure that you're not going to go overboard with, with how much you retrobrite. But it made me think about what other things do people do commonly with our keyboards that too much is not a good thing. Anything you can think of? Uh, lubing switches. So what's the effect of over lubing a switch? Um... I, I know this firsthand. I had a, a point that I lubed the switches on, and um, I guess a little bit of the lube got onto the leaf contacts, and then every now and then I would have a, a key that wouldn't register, and so I'd you know, pull it out, desolder it, replace it. It'd work fine for a week, and then another key would go out. It was, it was bad to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, why wouldn't you just take it out and clean the lube of it? I, I I don't know. Uh, I I I had only done it once, and I would j- rather just you know replace. I didn't really even see a huge difference, right? Because um, there were blacks, um, Gatteron blacks, and uh, I lubed them, and I didn't notice a huge difference. Okay, so it's funny you say that because I know that over lubing is a real thing in that you can turn tactile switches into linears with overlooping. <laughs> and I've felt this because somebody at, at one of the meetups was like, I feel this. And I was like, what is this? And they were like, this is the tactile switch. And I was like, really? And they'd lubed the sides of the stem and they'd lubed like the top and the, the actual um, middle stem down where the springs was and they'd lubed the spring. And it was, it was so slippery on this thing that you basically no longer had any tactility at all it lost it completely so that's um yeah not such a great thing unless if you've got a whole bunch of tactile switches and you actually wanted linears and you're too cheap to buy new switches (laughs) what what was the uh what was the switch to begin with i don't remember that uh i'm not sure what they were but i don't think they were super tactile they weren't a click bar switch uh, it was definitely yeah. a, a stem switch. So, but now I'm thinking, can you overloop your stabilizer wires? I mean, if yeah, because uh, the super lube collects uh, dust uh, pretty pretty hard. Yeah. Okay. Dust and grime. Fair enough. So then, is there anything else then that we potentially do too much? You clean your keycaps too much. Do you uh, desolder and resolder? Is is that something that we should be concerned about? Maybe. 
I, I know I know my that point PCB I was talking about earlier has some miles on it. I'm just wondering how many people have actually kept track of how many times they've soldered and desoldered a keyboard and if they've been able to visibly notice the the heat stress and strain short of you know actually damaging it slash lifting pads and stuff like that would would be interested to know so i suppose if it's a good quality manufactured pcb you would expect to not have a lot of problems especially if you desolder it well if you use good tools mm-hmm. um and and not excess heat because in theory it would be indefinite you should be able to just cycle it you know constantly because you're replacing the metal and and you're not you know lifting pads but uh yeah i do wonder about that hmm. how uh- how are the pads adhered to the PCB? Is it like a type of glue or? Uh, no. So <laughs> pads, uh, from my understanding of how PCBs are made, uh, is that the entire surface of your components is actually laid down as a layer. And then they actually mill away certain bits hmm. to, to produce islands of traces as well as pads and stuff um and then they actually mask it and they put like a solder mask on it and heat it until it flows so it's like a paste uh and then Mm, they put it into the flow oven and then that melts it down and then they cover it with your um your non-conductive solder your non-conductive masks and stuff like that so when you actually lift pads you're just heating up the the mask so much that it actually lifts from the silicon it's it's sort of i suppose bubbled or Mm, oxidized itself off the silicon is what i understand that to be yeah hmm okay cool uh well you know what we've actually hit about halfway through our normal episode time which is great it's a lot faster than i anticipated it to be actually so let's talk giveaways now have you entered this month's giveaway oh absolutely you certainly have you are the one two three four five you are the sixth entry out of 16 so far i don't actually think that's a record but it's pretty close it's pretty close you've still got another week by the way for anyone who's listening to this uh before the end of april to put in an entry and so i'm going to tell you what the entry conditions are all you have to do is go to the van keyboards website and use their hub keyboard layout editor or any of the other variants for different uh layouts because there's an ortho one now and i think there's uh help me out here i know that there's like a split layout one is that right yeah yeah they've got the Fourier, which is like a 40% split um, staggered. Okay. And uh, he's got a couple of the split ortholinear, the Vitterby and uh, the Levinson. Yes. Levinson. And those are five by six and five by seven and five by six respectively. Yeah. So all you have to do is go to any of those layout editors and mix and match to your heart's content and Take a screenshot of your favorite colorway out of the 12 different colorways on offer with the Hub Keycap Kickstarter campaign and email that to me at theboardpodcast at gmail.com. And it will be 
in the running to win a keyboard kit from Kibio. So it's pretty good. A lot of them are really nice. Uh, people have just put in entries. Some of them have even named it. So somebody said they've called it watermelon. Uh, somebody called it... What did they call it? Oh, what am I doing? Clicking the wrong one. Somebody had actually named it with... Uh, it was a green one. I'm just trying to find it. Fan of all things system or terminal. Nope, that's not the one. Anyway, I'm not going to uh, burn too much more time on that. But, uh, oh, there it is. Low-key greens. Um, and it made me laugh because I was thinking of the Avengers and Loki and how he, like, has green as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so if you want a chance to actually win a Kibio kit, do that. Send the email to me and I'll flag it and it'll be in the draw at the end of the month. Now, I was talking to Woke Chill earlier this week and he was like so i have a whole bunch of these keycaps that uh were left with me that you know because he's a sponsor of the show that and he covers the shipping for these out to the winners um were we actually going to be doing something with them and they're actually idea 23 keycaps that kevin had sent off to him because kevin was moving so i was like oh yeah we haven't done one of those for a while so we should probably think about getting that back up and running and with everything that's been happening uh i thought you know what for this week i want to give a bit of love out to my regular co-host kevin okay because he's having a bit of a a tough time you know just settling in and he's getting a bit stressed and everything else so what i want you to do is shoot me to the same email okay the board podcast at gmail.com just a piece of cheering up for Kevin. It can be whatever you want. It could be a joke. It could be just some words of encouragement. It could be some advice, an anecdote, a funny picture, you know, a link to a song on YouTube that cheers you up when you're down or stressed, anything like that. Just send it through to me. And what I'll do is I'll put them all together and bang that out to Kevin so that he can see and appreciate and feel the love for everybody who listens to the podcast to know that they're missing him, but they're thinking of him, okay? And what will happen is next week, we'll do a random draw for all those people who sent them in, and we'll get a keycap, a Idea23 keycap, out to you in exchange for that. So uh, I look forward to seeing some some positivity to uh, help our mate Kevin along in uh, this current stressful time. Okay. Now, I have three more things that are actually on my list today. And the first next item is cracked stems. Have you ever had stems crack on you, Taylor? No, no, unfortunately, or fortunately. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, unfortunately. What, <laughs> what, what kind of punishment are you after? Uh, well, while we're talking about that, what kind of keycaps do you have on your Anpro at the moment? Um, just the stock keycaps. I've got a couple of uh, woke chill caps on there, but mostly just the stock ones. Okay. Do you are, are you a fan of custom keycap sets or artisans, or is it just you know you haven't had the time to explore and discover alternatives to stock? I've got. Um, 
I've got a couple artisans. I've got uh, a regrettable amount of signature plastic uh, grab bags. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've got a couple of like carbon vomit sets, um, just a, a severe lack of space bars. So uh, I see. I wanted to keep uh, translucent keycaps on the AN because it's got the the backlighting per key. Yeah, mm. per key RGB. Okay. Cool. So the keys that caught my attention, and we've talked about keycaps and stems cracking previously, and you know some notable ones typically were artisan related because they were made of resin. Uh, mm. There was there was also an issue that we discussed recently about the hand wiring chip that somebody had designed where you had to actually rotate your switches ninety degrees, and we talked about you know the issue with that is if you're using certain profile keys and you put them on with the key orientation in the wrong direction, because the MX stem crucifix is actually not the same, you run a risk of damaging your stems, cracking them. Now, it's come to light that Max key, orange and blacks, actually crack. And some other people have also sort of come onto this thread and said, actually, they've had some from Ashen that has also cracked as well. Very interesting. What are your thoughts on this? Is is it um, are is it because of the keycap material? Like you said, the artisans were resin. Are are those Max keys ABS caps? They are ABS. Hmm. Is that more prone to cracking than PVT? I would not thought it to be, unless if it was insanely tight. It, or is it, do you think it's more of a manufacturing? Because Max Keys had that issue with the lime set, right? Where the colors on the modifiers weren't consistent? Yes. So their colors hadn't blended properly and it ended up with streak lines through it. But uh, if you look at this picture very closely, it is distinctly actually damaged, which is really, really interesting. Now, I don't know if they had an opportunity to actually test their keycaps. Even this, <laughs> it sounds dumb, but if you took this cracked keycap and you turned it 90 degrees and put it on, would it fit better or worse? Now, it sounds dumb because it's already cracked. So technically, if the orientation was incorrect, you probably wouldn't be able to tell well anyway because the stem's going to flex. But what I was thinking was, did Max Keys accidentally rotate their stem component 90 degrees and therefore cause the axis to be incorrect and thus exactly the same problem that we had described with the hand-wired PCB controller but mm. for you know uh, standard sets that's interesting but isn't um, isn't the whole like uh, when you double shot isn't the whole cap one piece, and then like the legend is a, se a se second piece. It is, it is, but uh, just in design, uh, <laughs> they got it rotated. Just in design, they got it rotated. Possibly, yeah, I mean, it's that's exactly what I'm kind of questioning: is did they just somehow stuff it up, or is their their two shot process? You know, are the stem components part of one of the shots? and is removable or rotatable 
because we don't know what their tooling is. Uh, you know, tooling, especially for double shotting, can be extremely complex. I have a friend who used to be a industrial products designer that did plastic injection work, and for a single bottle um, that had like you know those flip caps that are hinged that is part of the bottle. Mm, yeah. Uh, he was talking about like there's so many different ways that you can actually create a mold for that, and typically it'll be either three or four parts, and you wouldn't even think about it to look at one, but it's like well why would that take necessarily four parts to actually shot it so if a keycap has a four-part tooling on it and one of them is actually the stem and that piece could be potentially rotated then that introduces a potential error interesting hmm but i guess unless if we had people who were very experienced in injection plastic molding and tooling or, or whatnot we will probably just be speculating <laughs> But <laughs> hey, I'm very good at speculating. I do a lot of that. Um, yeah, so uh, it's good that you haven't had any stems crack and I haven't any, I have not had any crack that weren't my own fault. So hopefully if they get in contact with Max Keys and say, hey, look, this is what's happened. Max Keys is going to do the right thing and fix them up, which would be good. Right, let is... On to the next and scammers, 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 scammers. Now, you've been in the keyboard community a couple of years, right? Mm, uh, yeah. So if I say the name Ivan to you, you know exactly what I mean? Uh, no, maybe. <laughs> I've heard the name, but I don't, I don't know the details. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Ivan was a guy on geek hack who ran some group buys and he actually didn't order the items on the group buys for some of them and he just buggered off with the money so there is actually sort of legal action that has been attempted in action police reports and so on and so forth to try and recover the very large amount of money that he took for those group buys he also did order stuff but um yeah he actually didn't pay the money for the stuff that he ordered so the company that produced the keycaps were also out of pocket too <laughs> so he he not only screwed the community but he also screwed a producer which you know all around bad all around bad so anytime that people talk about doing an ivan in the community is essentially just full-blown scam artist someone's going to take your money and run the reason why i'm bringing this up now is um yesterday bad news cat put up a post with an ebay link on a bunch of keycaps being sold on ebay and it turns out these are actually being sold by ivan himself the details match to previous history of that account and they know that the person beta max with two x's three x's three x's 86 uh from des moines iowa is actually ivan now this is what is is crazy is the fact that he had a lot of these sets okay and he was selling these pbt sets for 35 dollars which is insane a full for for a full set 113 keycaps. Wow. For 35. 
right? Hectic, absolutely hectic. Now, the speculation on what's happening here is, well, if he's going to try and scam people on eBay, that's a really dumb move because obviously he's going to, you know, lose his eBay account and all that kind of stuff and PayPal, blah, 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 blah. So people are saying that he must be flogging them off now because he thinks it's a good time to sell them and he's selling them cheap so he can just get rid of them quickly and that way he can make some money and use the money for his other needs. He was able to sell 30 sets before eBay shut the listing because what Bad News Cap had asked across all the different platforms available was to report him for selling stolen goods or fraudulent activity. But, oh, man, for those who got in on it, I don't know if eBay is going to allow the completion of the transaction or not, um, or if you'll just get a refund or, 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 I don't know, who knows. But for 35 bucks, that's a really good deal uh, for PBT, 113 but it's interesting that, you know, he's had the goal to actually do this. Surely he would know that people are still baying for his blood. I mean, I see a number that's been thrown in here of $40,000 was what was essentially run off with. Wow. It's a heck of a lot of money. And at the same time, you know, I want to relate this back to what's happening right now with the hub, Keycap, Kickstarter, is that people are like, they're fearful of a scam as well. But... There is accountability here because the money's not going directly to the Vant keyboards. It's going via Kickstarter. And there's other processes involved that hopefully will reduce risk of this kind of occurrence. Um, so be aware that uh, if you do see something being sold from Betamax, um, whatever the name, Betamax 87, did I say? Betamax 86? Uh, let me have a look. Betamax 86. Uh, you are potentially going to be getting stuff that might have been part of the group buy that people are still after <laughs> for their money or their goods. <laughs> just uh, just a little bit of a, a public service announcement there. And there is links, of course, that I will provide with the show details afterwards that you can go read up on it. Uh, and it even has backlinks as well to full-on descriptions on the scenario and situation on Geekak. Rightio, we're getting towards the end of uh, episode time, which is pretty good. My last thing that I had on the list for this week, and uh, we'll have some time afterwards if there's anything in particular that you want to talk about too, Taylor, as we normally do yep. when we have guests, uh, is about Norbauer's visit to Signature Plastics. Did you watch that video? Uh, I haven't seen the video, no. You haven't seen the video? Oh, so it's a three minute 33 video where it's just some fancy music and whatnot. But um, Norbauer actually went up to Washington State to, I think they're somewhere in Seattle or close to Seattle. And um, yeah, he got to check out their factory. And it was a really, really interesting look. There's a lot of things that you see and there's a lot of things that makes you sort of raise your eyebrows and you go, okay, well, that kind of explains what's going on. It does seem like it's a very small outfit to the way that they are described in the way that they operate. A lot of their machinery is relatively old-ish looking. Um, 
we got to see as part of the video how they do die subbing, which was pretty cool. They they print a whole sheet of um, material with the with the actual legends on it, and they lay it over the entire key set, and it just die subs the whole lot in one hit. Um, oh well, which which is really good. Now I'm actually just going to chuck that into um, into Slack there for you, so you can you can see that. Um, but towards the end they started to show a bit of like the cleaning process and the sprue cleaning and the trimming and the, the sort of the QC type of related activities and that's when I was just like ah so this is why stuff takes so long it's because there really is a lot of manual labor happening here you know if they're going to be breaking keycaps off all by hand completely one by one and using you know craft knives to to basically skim and cut and trim and shape off the sprue marks and stuff like that and then they got to lay them out onto a little layout thing so that they can actually put a sheet of die sub on top of it to die sub it this is where a lot of this time goes into it this is where a lot of that cost goes into it and when you look at the actual machines and the tooling and the sets and just the general appearance of their workshop, a lot of their equipment well and truly is aged, which means there's going to be tolerance issues. Um, and that's, once again, going to explain why they actually have grab bags. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that's pretty much it. Now, what that does mean, though, for me when I was thinking about this and watching this video is I would be really keen to see a similar video of how the factory operates at where the hub would be made. Now, and, and what I mean by this is we've seen pictures from the hub visiting, well, from the van keyboards visiting that factory, right? But we don't have anything that shows them actually in function. They're talking about, you know, automated processes. There's like going to be so little waste that they wouldn't even have grab bags and stuff like that. Being able to visually see how that factory works and their processes and their equipment would be able to give you some confidence in saying all those statements would be true, even if they're not actually producing a keycap. Because whatever it is that they're making, a widget, plastic spoon, armchair, whatever, just seeing the quality of the equipment, like the age of the equipment, some of those robotic processes, depending on what it is, you really can tell. Uh, only... At the start of this week, I came across a clip, um, like a, a very similar kind of thing, where a guy went and visited the Lamy factory in Germany. Now, do you know what Lamy is? Uh, no. So they produce fountain pens, and they produce really nice fountain pens. And just by seeing the entire process on how they do stuff in this factory, you're just like, I can understand why they have really good quality pens. <laughs> Because because that's that's the engineering, that is the equipment, that is the production line, that is the processes involved. And they have stuff that's hand-assembled and hand-built, and they have stuff that's machine-assembled and machine-built. And then I was like, I wonder how much these pens really cost. And now that I'd seen that video, I went onto the Lamy website, and I was like, oh, wow, okay, they look really nice, but they're only $25, $30. And then you go and have a look at the ones that are hand-assembled, and they're like $1,000. So, you know, that is 
that is the distinction here. We're talking about stuff that is fully automated, quality controlled, processed, and then you can get this really great fountain pen for 25 bucks or one that a worker is skilled, trained, and meticulously hand crafts, hand sands, hand assembles, polishes, cleans, lacquers, picks, packs for $1,000. And then when we think about keycaps, potentially, if the hub was to be successful, it's going to be completely automated. And we're looking at 50 bucks a set retail versus signature plastics, where there's a lot of this manual labor. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that, especially in, in the way that, you know, Norbauer describes his experience and talking with them and seeing it is that there's a lot of love and care in their QC, right? They don't want to send out stuff that is poor quality. And therefore, that's why a lot of caps you get in grab bags, as you might know, since you've got grab bag caps, you look at them and say, well, what was wrong with this keycap? I get heaps of them, right? And I go, well, that seems perfectly fine. But um, obviously, it doesn't meet their QC and therefore it increases their cost price because they've got a higher rate of wastage involved. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I know that was a bit of a soapboxy rant thing, but because uh, <laughs> you hadn't seen the video. <laughs> Are you like secretly watching it in the background right now? Yes. Yeah. It's uh, it's I didn't think it'd be nearly that small. It's so tiny. There's like maybe thirty people on the floor in there. Yeah, and and like you you see how each of the stations are stations. There's like no you know stuff that's being conveyor belted here or there, and there's like yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of step-by-step -step processes is what it appears to be um and yeah it's really interesting to be able to see that so you know i do say kudos to signature plastics for allowing norbauer to actually do this for one um and you know maybe this will change a bit of the perception and the whinging that can often happen with delays and things because hey if they've only got a small workforce and everything's very manual and labor intensive it really accounts for it including price. Um, but still, at the end of the day, there's a community, growing community with needs. And if they can't meet it, then obviously competition is going to come forward and, and take some of that market share. So I'd, I'd be interested to see GMK's process and see like how, how it's different and like see like Max Key's diff process and how it's different, you know? Yeah, for sure. We just need uh, Norbauer to head over there and, and wile his charms as well and say, hey, let me in with my camera and uh, put a bit of Eurobeat to it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that pretty much wraps up what I had for, for my talking points this week. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about now that we've reached this point in the episode, Taylor? Um, have you ever... Uh, I, I know my... My point has like a steno mode. Have you ever looked into learning steno? Oh, man. <laughs> well, so steno is phonetic writing, right? Yeah, it's like it. you uh, you kind of make... It, it's kind of stripped down and, and simplified. Yeah, so it's the type of stuff that they use for courtrooms and transcripts and stuff like that where you're typing in shorthand, essentially for um and you, and you type like 
up to six or eight characters at the same time it's courting yeah yeah um i don't know how that would work for like word processing like if you were to try and type a standard document like a, a document in word using a sterno layout what does that actually output so you would use a a program um the community standard is Flubber. And, and by the way, I, I have no, like, I've just looked into it. I'm, I'm by no means an expert. Um, but you run this program and it, it takes the inputs and then it'll output whatever text it is. So if you press a key, it's not like it's going to immediately show up. You have to like do your chord and then you'll see like the chord come up and then it'll go away. And then the um, actual text comes back. So if the courting is, and I mean, I might be wrong because I don't understand Steno, uh, phonetic driven, how does it distinguish the correct spelling or correct choice of word? Um, I, it's not necessarily phonetic. Um, that's kind of like the baseline for everything, but, um, you, you have different chords for different things. Okay, so it's kind of like playing a piano in that context. Yeah, yeah. So I tried learning to play a piano in my younger days and uh, did not get very far. (laughs) (laughs) I I could always, I could use my right hand. My left hand was, I I could do it like each one independently. I couldn't do them at the same time though. Yes, and that was the same problem that I had. Uh, I played other musical instruments, so I used to play brass. And I also used to play the flute. But you see, for both brass and for for standard woodwind, your your sequence of finger activities is for a singular note. You're not controlling multiple notes. Uh, And and Mm -hmm. that's my brain doesn't wire that way. So, um, yeah. I I have seen people's steno keyboards on the subreddit and other pictures around. So, it's it's interesting. But... um, I don't think it's something that I would probably be able to pick up very quickly or easily. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't I don't think I would either just just by looking at it. <laughs> well, at least it's an option that you have on your plank. Yeah, it's there. Uh the uh, all the extra keycaps get in the way though, so I assume I would like pull off all the extra keycaps. Ah, uh, yes, because they're those big flat paddle-looking ones, aren't they? Mm, yeah, because because you're hitting multiple ones at the same time. If you have like sculptured, it just won't work. Right, right. Hmm. Cool. Okay. Well, maybe something to try when I have a bit more freedom and time, and I don't actually have to uh, be able to keep up with what I'm writing. <laughs> After you learned Dvorak, right? Oh, and Colmac. <laughs> On an Ergodox. <laughs> Anything else you want to throw my way today? Uh, no. No? All right. Well, while you were talking about the Steno thing there, it did actually uh, trigger my mind in that I had somebody at work come up to me and he was like, so, you know all these keyboard things that you do? And I was like, yes. Like, how are they controlled? I went, what do you mean? He goes, well, like, when you press the button, what is outputting the signal to the computer? I went, oh, these. Well, 
for these custom ones I built, they're the Pro Micro. And it's like, okay, so it's like a chip that has like a, a conversion in it to USB. And I was like, yeah, yeah. He goes, so is that able to control Winamp? And the first thing I said was like, who still uses Winamp? <laughs> Winamp? <laughs> and he goes, well, okay, media software. And I was like, yeah, as long as there's like a, a keyboard equivalent shortcut to it, then it should be fine. And he goes, yeah, because it's like F, you know, two, three, seven or whatever for back, pause, play, fast forward, rewind, and all that. And I was like, yeah. And he said, okay. So do you reckon you could help me put something together? And he basically explained to me, he plays acoustic guitar and he uses backing tracks on a old laptop with Winamp. And he wanted to create mm. a, a stomp board. So it's got stomp switches, foot switches that he wanted to wire up so that it would command Winamp so that it could either pick up or slow down tempo or, you know, rewind, fast forward or skip tracks and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, okay. Um, so that's really cool that that this is actually happening in terms of innovation and whatnot because he was saying that a lot of foot pedal activity devices out there are typically audio signal um, modifiers. They're not designed for driving computer keyboard signals. So... That's something that I haven't really sort of gone super deep into because I said, well, you know, let's work out some requirements and how we're going to integrate the switches because I don't know what stomp switches are besides foot press switches. I don't know how they mount. I don't know what their footprints are like, what their pins are and stuff like that. Um, but you know what? We've gone from, from keyboards as normal input devices to something that is being used potentially for something completely different to what I would have ever thought you know, as a macro pad. Like, now this guy's going to be using it to control his music for playing guitar with, which is really cool. So, yeah. I don't know why that triggered me. So, so when are we going to see a foot macro pad? Because it, it sounds like you're hot on the trail. Um, I would imagine it's relatively easy. It's just a matter of if he wanted it hardwired to the same sort of enclosure or if he wanted the actual foot pads to be separate and corded. So if they're cords, it's a matter of what kind of jack the stomp switch footpad uses and then getting that female version of the jack or, or even male version, I guess, depending on what the socket is, onto an enclosure that's wired to a matrix. Um, so long as it's just a, a temporary switch closure activity. Because um, obviously if you have a uh, always on, always off scenario and you depress and lock that switch, it's going to be spamming that signal and that's not what you want. So the, the stop switches really need to be a temporary contact switch. Um, or if it's something that he wants as a physical box that's got literally like three or four foot pedals in a row or in a particular physical orientation. So got to probably, you know, a little while away. But I did say to him if we were going to go down this path and he wanted a proper PCB, you know, minimum quantity is going to be five. Otherwise, we could hand wire something for him. So he's going to have a think about it um, and get back to me, which is, yeah, nifty. Pretty cool. Awesome. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, if there's nothing else that uh, you wanted to throw out there for discussion today, we might call that a wrap for this week. All right. Well, thank you very much, Taylor, for joining me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed having a chat with me. I know I certainly did with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. And it's uh, great yeah. to actually have you on board and of course thank you very much for supporting us here at the board 
both uh, through Patreon as well as being part of our community here on Slack. Now, for anybody who is hearing this and going, oh, you know, aren't you guys recording Discord? And and I do have to say this quite a few times. Uh, the Discord is not being used as our community location. We only use it for recording. So I only send out temporary invites for guests and people who join. And if you want to get involved with our community, though, please send me an email to theboardpodcast at gmail.com and I'll send you an invite to our Slack group. Now, it is closed in that context because we don't want to open it up for anybody to randomly just join and cause a bit of havoc and chaos. Uh, We don't have a problem with if you join and you want to invite other people that you know who are actually involved with keyboards because that's fantastic and a lot of people have already done that. It's just that we don't want it to be a link that someone could potentially copy and paste that we would get spammed with bots and other people joining and stuff like that. So if you do want to get involved, please feel free to send me an email to theboardpodcast at gmail.com and just ask for that Slack invite, okay? Make sure you get your entries in this week as well for the Kibio monthly giveaway, plus send me um, something for Kevin just to uh, give him a bit of positivity and cheer him up as well for a chance to win a idea 23 keycap lots of things happen compliment his hair he loves to get compliments <laughs> on his hair <laughs> well you know he's been he's been going to the gym and working out and stuff like that so you know he could be having a, a really good summer bod as well so uh <laughs> love you kevin love you kevin um well thanks again taylor for coming along and uh thank you to everybody for listening to our podcast and uh as I like to say, of course, until next time, happy clacking.